Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Drew Hankin, founder of Azuri Group based in the Gold Coast. Drew and his team help cosmetic businesses grow by expanding their online presence, utilizing targeted digital marketing campaigns and leveraging their social media accounts. In the first of two podcasts with Drew, we explore the basics of digital marketing and learn how Facebook and Instagram are the key social media apps to use as a business. G'day Drew, how you doing buddy? Good mate, how are you? Very good, very good. How was your flight down this morning? Yeah, it was good. Coffee's fix everything, which yeah. is nice. <laughs> Not too much turbulence? No, it was good, it was good. I did the, I got a bit of a sore neck, so I was doing the old nod <laughs> off. No, I'm all good. So just for our listeners out there, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then I guess we'll just get talking about marketing. Yeah, awesome. So um, about eight, nine years ago, I started Business Azuri. Uh, we started in started building apps of all things. And uh, from that, you know, we had a bit of demand for websites. Then from that, had a bit of demand for online marketing. So we grew and grew and grew. And it was, you know, an amazing little journey. And about five, six years ago, we had a uh, had a cosmetic clinic engage us and, you know, they had a few difficulties with, you know, what they can and can't do with, you know, S4 terms, things they can and can't have on their website. And basically, they engaged us for their SEO, their online marketing, and the results that we produced were pretty awesome. And from that, they referred us to one of the big two manufacturers of Toxin. And they then referred us to a bunch of clinics themselves, which was an amazing, amazing opportunity. And uh, from that, you know, we started dealing with more and more. We kept getting referred to more people. Then we referred to a few surgeons and uh, it just really organically grew. And, you know, we quickly started realising, hey, our competition, you know, aren't really that switched on with what they're doing. You know, people are getting pretty screwed over left, right and centre. So, let's do this properly. So, basically, you know, we, we exclusively started targeting the cosmetic industry just from, you know, having learned more and more about it. We found that the more we learned about it, the more clinics that we dealt with and learned more and more nuances of, you know, APRA-TGA, things and can and can't do, as well as best practices for converting people. You know, we got a, you got, we got a really in-depth understanding of the customer flow from, you know, the point of research through, through the point of conversion. And, you know, about four years ago, we just said, hey, Let's just let's just deal with the cosmetic industry because you know we're doing some really good stuff. Why do you think it's such a poorly understood um, industry? I mean, you know, I've tried to YouTube this stuff and Google it, and I just can't get my head around the whole online digital branding and marketing thing. It's like, it seems like a mystery that only Google partners can understand. 
Yeah. Like, what, 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 how do you learn? The thing is, it's, it's so dynamic and every three to six months, there are enormous changes that come around. So, the, there's a lot of disparity between opinions on best and worst practices, yeah. depending on how up to date people are. You know, there's no real science to it. No one's written a book of what to do and what not to do. It's not like, you know, the medical industry, how yeah. there's, you know, years and years of clinical trials and research and do's and don'ts. Uh, you know, it's something where a lot of people have learned along the way and, you know, because of that, that inherently creates an environment where there's a lot of different approaches. Yeah. You know, there's no, you know, best or worst way of doing it. There's just a lot of different approaches and every marketing agency will deal with things a lot differently. They'll have different priorities. They'll have different yeah. focuses. You know, some agencies will tell you that, you know, only do SEO. Some will say only do social media, only do AdWords. It's, you know, the, it's the old saying, if, you know, if you've only got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. Uh, so, it's best to have a pretty agnostic view of it and look at, you know, all modalities and see what's the best and, you know, what's the best for the situation at hand. Definitely. I think what makes it challenging as well is that um, social media is moving so quickly. Yeah. Like we were having a discussion before we went on air about these uh, like Facebook and Instagram six months ago, almost completely different sort of apps than what they are now and how they function. And then you look at the aesthetic space or cosmetic space and that's also moving really fast. Absolutely. There's new techniques, there's like it's growing. So you've got these two really fast growing sort of industries yep. colliding and trying to work out how you market yourself the best and stay up to date is really difficult. Absolutely. Like it's, you know, if you look at Facebook five years ago compared to now, it's like two different platforms, even a couple of years ago, like at the core of all of the updates and changes that they make, one thing to remember is Facebook's a public company. You know, their priority is to make profit for their shareholders. That's what their responsibility is. So, every, all of the changes that they've made along the way, you know, in the early days from changing to chronological posts being shown and seeing everything from you know, an entire following of somebody. If you had a thousand friends, you'd see it, a thousand people's posts. That then became dynamic and changed depending on engagement. You know, that it changed from being chronological to, you know, recommended posts. So, that changed it massively. Like, in the early days, there were businesses that made the most of the platform without paying a dollar to Facebook and saying, you know, for every person you tag, you go into a drawer and they'd tag a thousand people and then you'd get these, you know, these, these pages and these businesses with a hundred thousand followers not paying a dollar to Facebook making obscene amounts of money. Then Facebook kind of limits it, brings out, you know, the advertising platform, you know, and that changes a lot over time too. So, you know, you, you really have to, you know, you really do have to pay Facebook and Instagram to get a, get amazing traction these days. Uh, but, you know, the tools that they've got at their disposal, it's, it's pretty incredible who you can target and how you can target them. So, yeah, like basically you can, you know, it, it, it changed from being something where you target someone of a specific age in a specific area to then being able to target, you know, recently divorced women who have kids that go to Cranbrook that drive an Audi. Like it's, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> it's you know, it became very, very granular, which, you know, the whole Cambridge Analytica saga that yeah. put them in a bit of hot water and they had to dial it down a little bit. But uh, what about what about kids that get dropped off in uh, helicopters to school? Didn't you? Say? <laughs> yep. On the way here this morning, there was uh, there was an Augusta helicopter on the Cranbrook Oval with a couple of little kids running onto the oval with their school bags. Wow! How do you top that? <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna parachute in with their kids on their back. Oh, they're not get. They don't get smacked. They definitely don't get. Smacked. Oh God! Now, I thought that we would try and make this as basic as possible because we're talking about a lot of sort of jargon here that some people might be going, well, what's Cambridge Analytica and what's Google Analytics, whatever. So what is social media? Let's just define that. And and 
not really for sort of talking about for social purposes, but for business, mm -hmm. what are the main apps that are people using and why should we be potentially using them? So there's the, the two primary ones, Facebook, Instagram. Um, they are really at the core of social media marketing. There, is, there are others. There's LinkedIn, there's Snapchat. There's, there are a lot of others out there, but, you know, there's no better or worse platform. There's kind of different applications for different purposes. Um, you know, in this industry, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, we've found are the most effective. Um, yeah. Yeah. What social media is really, you know, they're platforms which were designed for communication and to, you know, keep information or really to broadcast information between everybody who are yeah. friends with each other and to follow people and keep updated. Um, you know, with the amount of eyes on screens, the opportunity was seen to think, hey, we can put ads on here. There's a, you know, there's a lot of screen time. Let's make some revenue. And that has grown, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world today, which is Facebook. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really been some, you know, online marketing in general has been something which, you know, a few years ago was a very small part of businesses' budgets. Now it's absolutely core to all marketing initiatives. Yeah. So, and social media, that's become more and more of a focus. If you even look two years ago or three years ago, the vast amount of funds would be spent on SEO AdWords, whereas now with measures being put in place with new innovations, with new updates, with new measures of targeting, you know, it's, it's moving more and more towards social media. Okay. Well, I guess less and less people are watching free-to-air TV. Yeah. Which means they're not seeing ads. Yeah. People are surgically attached to their uh, phones. Yeah. That's, we're almost like cyborgs now. So, I mean, it makes sense that that's where you're going to advertise to people, right? On these social media platforms and on their phones in general, YouTube. Yeah. YouTube's a big one too, I guess. We'll talk about that at some stage. But hundred percent. And like, you look, you look at above the line advertising, like radio, TV, magazines, and, you know, there's a figure, there's a, there's a. There's a figure in online marketing with social media that we use called CPM, and that's cost per mil or cost per thousand people who see an ad. Mm -hmm. You know, depending on how, like, the more granular you are with your targeting, the higher the CPM. Yeah. The more broad, the broader you are, the lower that is. So if you just say, you know, women in Sydney, you know, I'll cost you ten, twenty dollars per thousand people that see an ad, or if you say, you know divorced mothers of, you know, that drive nice cars, you know, it might be a hundred, hundred and fifty dollar CPM. So obviously with a you know, the more the more specific the targeting, the higher conversions. Yes. The, the more broad the, the broader it is, yeah. the more people are gonna see it. But if you compare what it costs in social media marketing with that with those CPM figures to television, you know, spending a few grand a month, you know, spending three thousand dollars a month on Facebook and, and Instagram, you can have, you know, sixty, a hundred thousand people see your ads, which for a spend of that size, it's it's quite enormous, especially given that social media allows you to target a specific demographic of people, whereas television, you're targeting everybody who turns the telly on. Yeah. So, you know, the vast majority of people who are watching it are not people you're intending to target. So, And yeah. the amount of money that type of advertising costs, whether it be a full-page spread in yeah. a magazine or an advertisement on TV, is astronomically expensive and you can't even track where like how successful that's been you're sort of guessing maybe people will tell you that's how they heard about you maybe they won't yep you can't actually see what your return on investment is and yep. i think it's becoming more complicated because book but that you don't know that they actually originally saw you on a, on a google search they did three months before that it's, yep. it's really difficult to know even with those even with those metrics it's hard to know exactly where 
Absolutely. Like, that's the thing. Like, looking at old school above the line advertising, there's no, there was almost no possible way to quantify what your returns of marketing spend were. Like, you know, you'd lick your finger and stick it in the air and think, oh, we're busy this month. It must be that TV ad. <laughs> like, now with the tracking mechanisms that can be put in place with retargeting as well as, you know, tracking a figure called assisted conversions, you can track people from the first point that they see your website through to end conversion. Yeah, right. You know, there's amazing pieces of software that are always coming out and getting better and better and better all the time. You know, there are systems that can track that now. So, you know, like and, and it's it's important to be able to pull apart the data. A lot of a lot of agencies won't really pull apart data across various platforms and see where an impression originated from. Like, you know, an example is, you know, I sent it sent an email to a client yesterday, you know, their Facebook ads weren't performing directly getting leads that efficiently at all. It was mm. something like eighty to a hundred dollars a lead. So we started turning those down, like we started turning the spend down. What we found was the direct searches for his name subsequent to them seeing those ads, once we turned the ad spend down, searches for his name went down. We turned the ads back up, searches for his name went back up. So on, a, on the surface level, it, it looked like the ads weren't that effective. But when looking at indirect effects of those ads, mm. by pulling apart cross-platform data, we found that searches for his name, and by the way, if someone's searching for a clinic's name or a doctor's name, they're going to be some of the highest converting traffic you're going to find. Yeah. You know, so that's something that's, you know, it's important to, you know, with any online marketing initiative to really make sure someone's pulling apart the data and looking inside and out at every platform because it's not always what it looks at first sight. So to put this into some sort of basics, let's say you've got a, I don't know, a cosmetic nurse who started up a business. She opens up a Facebook account and puts on a profile of her business mm -hmm. what does she do then or what, what, what does that how are you doing this advertising and marketing through so, instagram or, or sorry through facebook depends on what her uh, so di different recommendations for different platforms and different marketing strategies all depend on what her goals would be like if she's you know invested in some ubute you know expensive laser and she wants to target treatments for that yeah it'd be very different too if she wanted to you know Tar target injectables and if she's come from you know if she's got quite a large database yeah. like, like some hypothetical examples if she's got a, a large database she's got you know 500 or a thousand people or 5,000 people however many people it is she can import that into Facebook she can make a look like audience and she can target those people and retarget them with ads um, you know that's a way of trying to convert you know we'll retain that clientele then okay. creating lookalike audiences which are what a lookalike audience is it's an algorithmically matched audience so to explain that You've got, like, there, there, there are thousands and thousands of data points that social media platforms has on everybody. What it will do, if you, if you get an audience, a list of email addresses, and you import them into Facebook, it'll match the email addresses to their Facebook profiles, and yeah. then analyze commonalities between those individuals. You can then create a lookalike audience, which it will algorithm, it'll algorithmically match those people to people who are, are like them, similar activities, similar, similar affinities, similar interests. That's amazing and scary all at the same time. Oh, it's, um, you know, when you, when you get, when, when you, a good sign of putting, of when a campaign's running really, really well is you get a lot of comments of people saying, That's so holy spooky. shit, are they listening to me? Yeah. Yeah. I had that conversation all the time. Yeah. Actually, one of the things that scared the life out of me, we had a coffee a few months ago and you started talking to you about geofencing. Oh, yeah. And I just absolutely shit myself because uh, let me see if I can remember how you explained it correctly. So, 
they can actually know where you are. Your, if you carry your phone around your house, it knows what room of your house you are in. Like if you're in your bathroom, for example, yeah. and it will start sending you ads. If you take your phone to the bathroom, it will start sending you ads for hair care products, toothbrush, toothpaste, um, whatever. Like they actually know where you are and what to advertise to. <laughs> it's So, you can sit like some of the ways that the, the larger businesses use technology like geofencing are incredible. Like I remember being in, uh, I was in, where was it? It was Marina Bay Sands in Singapore, and there was, which is a multi-level shopping center, the shopping center part of it. Went into a store and walked out and I didn't even talk about the store uh, and I was then getting- ads from that brand um, that, that afternoon. Like there was no other way, there was no way it could be recommended to me. Like it's, yeah, there are some pretty amazing ways it, that it can be put in place. So if you're that hypothetical nurse injector, you have got your business profile on Facebook. Do you need to engage a company like Azuri to then start utilizing these marketing tools or could you do it on your own? I've got a pretty strong opinion of only outsource the things that you can't do yourself or you don't have enough time to do yourself. Um, You know, one side of social media marketing is content management, which is, you know, putting out content to your existing followers. It's, you know, post a day, you know, a couple of posts a day on your Facebook, on your Instagram. You know, that's something that a lot of people are outsourcing externally to do, which I don't really recommend doing because, you know, it's really storytelling. That can be done internally a lot better. The things that should be outsourced to experts are the things that you need experts to do. So, creating multi-tiered campaigns with, you know, different stages of marketing funnels, that's real social media marketing. You know, social media marketing isn't chucking out, you know, systematic posts of telling stories and wouldn't wouldn't you rather be here and check out some before and afters. That's really just content for people who are going to already come to your page. Yes. You know, the things that experts should be engaged for with social media marketing are like, you know, having multi-stage campaigns that'll, you know, at first have, you know, awareness videos that'll, you know, give people, you know, and not, you know, educate people on what you do and how you do it. Then depending on their actions on that video, if they've say watched a video for 25 or 30% or more, it can create a trigger that then caught, that then targets that same person with video B. Then depending on their actions, if they've clicked on a site or they have inquired or they haven't inquired, you know, having that trigger a third layer. Yeah. Um, That's the, what you mean by a funnel, right? You're sort yeah. of going down a, a path, you go, go to path A or path B, depending on what you click or don't click, etc. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like, you know, it's, it's, a funnel is the perfect word for it because it's really getting top of funnel content, middle of funnel content, bottom of funnel content. So it's taking, you know, showing a video to as many people as possible at the top of the funnel uh, who fall into your targeting criteria. Then depending on their actions, you can then retarget them with additional media, which then gives them a higher likelihood of converting. So, you know, you can do that cross-platform as well. So, you know, a hypothetical example would be, you know, it's a, it's a plastic surgeon who wants to target people for, you know, breast augmentation in Sydney. What they do is they might start with a, with a really broad stroke educational video, you know, what it is, if you ever thought about it, you know, have some really great visuals. If somebody, then out of the thousands and thousands of people who will see that, then having it so after, you know, 15, 20, 25% of that video being watched, not yep. necessarily them clicking on it or liking or engaging, uh, but you can have retargeting get triggered f- from percentage of video watched. You then have a secondary video, which is middle of funnel. Yeah. Uh, that's when you're going to try to take them to, you know, landing pages, get them to download things. You know, get How does that get triggered out. if they haven't engaged? purely from watching it like so you'll notice if you if you're scrolling on your social media feed and there's a video that's playing and you just stop and watch it because they'll automatically play uh 
if you've watched it for a set period of time, that advertiser can set a trigger that then enables a new layer of marketing. And that can be cross-platform as well. So, you can have it so, you know, in that same instance, it might trigger a video that will be a pre-roll ad on YouTube. Mm. So, you might watch part of a video on Facebook that's come up that you've been targeted for. You might watch a certain amount of it, which that advertiser has deemed appropriate to trigger middle of funnel content. You know, that can then start, you know, whenever you go to YouTube after that, you go to watch a Top Gear video and the pre-roll video might be for, you know, Dr. Smith, plastic surgeon. Yeah. Uh, so, then after that, you can have additional media, you know, that can trigger Google display ads. You can have it, you know, trigger Instagram ads that, you know, really make things follow you around. Yeah. So, where can people, where do people start with this or what do you, where do you recommend people start? So, if I'm Dr. Dr. XYZ or cosmetic injector and I want to start my journey on promoting my business, like, how do you get started on this? Like, how much money should you, I guess, allocate for a budget? Do you need a website? Like, just break it down for us. Where do people get started with all this stuff? Really, the um, the best way to get started, you know, people always need a website. You'll yep. always need a website. The better the website, the better experience people will have. It's the, you know, in this day and age, it's the initial experience that people will have of your business. It used to be, you know, walking into an office or a clinic and getting a feel for it and shaking hands. But now the initial, you know, perception of a brand is is the website. I'm going to touch on that because we were talking earlier, David yeah. and I, that we're kind of thinking websites are a bit old hat now. It depends on what yeah. business you are, of course, but my business seems to just be through Instagram. Yeah. Most of my leads are through Instagram and people are like, you know, they might ask me questions like, what your price is? Where do you work? And I'm like, oh, have you not seen the website? And no one has. Yeah. They just don't seem to look at the website anymore. You need you to do your website. Yeah. I think the best thing to say to that is, uh, you know, there are clinics, clinicians, surgeons who wholly and solely get all the leads from the website, from SEO, some yeah. just from social media, some just from AdWords, you know, the healthiest possible way yeah. to have a lead generation system in place is to have a healthy source from all platforms. Yeah. The reason for that is, is that when people rely on one single source, especially if it's social media, because of how dynamic it is, there can be abrupt changes that will really, that can really have some amazingly positive effects and some negative ones as well. Like we had a new client come on board mid last year down in Melbourne and uh, they just got, they got absolutely nailed by a Google update because their SEO had never been done properly. Right. It was done properly in the short term to initially quickly build traffic, but it wasn't done in a sustainable fashion. Yeah. They went from, you know, multiple receptionists to one part-time one. Like they, it really, really hit them. They relied on uh, on SEO for everything. Yeah. And they didn't have any other sources of lead acquisition. Now that's all been fixed since then, you know, absolutely busy cracking again. But, you know, that was a... That was a situation where it was a real eye-opener. Like, I'd always know that, known that, you know, if you relied on one source and something dramatic happened, yeah. that it could have pretty detrimental effects. And that was a that was a textbook situation of that. So, okay. that with how much social media is changing, social media changes more than any other modality of online marketing. It's, yeah, um, yeah definitely put, uh, put your eggs in some other baskets, I'd say. But there's no silver bullet these days. You have to be everywhere. Oh, the, the best way to do it is to have a bit of an ecosystem running. So, like, you know, you'll have people find your website for, you know, research-based terms of SEO. And, you know, if, if they're early in the in the buying process and they're still researching, you know, it's good for, them, good for them to learn from your website. You know, you can use that to retarget people on Facebook and then convert them from there. You can also have, you know, the, the opposite way around. You can target people, 
you know, with social media, send them to your website, retarget them to bring them back there. Yeah. Uh, really, the best approach is, you know, making the most of all the platforms out there. They've all got their pros and cons. Like there's pros and cons of AdWords, pros and cons of SEOs, pros and cons of social media. Uh, if you use the, the the best aspects of all of them, it's that's when you create a really, really, really good engine. So, Drew, you were using the term search engine optimization. Now, I kind of roughly know what that is because I've, again, Googled it and stuff. But can you break that down for people listening? What What is it and how do you, I guess, make it most efficient? So, yeah, search engine optimization, it explains itself in brief. But to, to go into it and peel off a few more layers, most of SEO is about compliance. Google is a very, very, very dynamic platform, which is constantly changing its measures of ways that it indexes various websites, yeah. uh, different values that it places on different characteristics of a website. Um, you know, making a website completely compliant with Google, uh, with its search engine guidelines, yeah. uh, that's one process and that's on-site SEO. So, you know, user experience, making it so it's fast, having it built in a platform which is appropriate for it. You know, content is really, really, really critical because at the end of the day, we use Google because it's a great service. Uh, you know, Google wants to send you to the best website. So, Google will analyze sites in unbelievable depth and then make a set, make sets of recommendation sets of recommendations based upon those characteristics that it analyzes. More so nowadays, there's a lot more location-based, uh, there are a lot of location-based characteristics that it'll evaluate in indexing. Uh, so, you know, a couple of years ago, two, three, four years ago, if you searched for plastic surgeon with no, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Byron Bay, whatever before or after it, you'd get national terms. Yes. Like you'd get someone in, you know, you'd get Anne Nguyen in Perth, you'd get Malcolm Roshnick come up, you'd get a bunch of different people. Uh, now, depending on where you are, you'll get more localised results. Yeah. Like that's one very, very granular change that Google have made to enhance people's experience using Google. Yeah. You know, there are thousands and thousands of uh, of points that, it'll look, that Google will look at and SEO is really a way of, doing everything possible to influence Google in its evaluation of what is the ideal website for a user and building yeah. authority with Google. So, there's so I'm still getting emails from presumably people, I'm guessing they're from India, saying, I can make you number one on Google for whatever you're doing. You should is have that- done that in an Indian accent then. <laughs> <laughs> is that bullshit or is that, can you still do that? It seems like something that was done 10, 15 years ago that might have been possible. SEO a few years ago was really easy. Yeah. Uh, I won't say, you know, Google was dumb, uh, but, you know, Google was, it was very basic to get your results high on Google. Like it was, it was very, very easy. Like you'd have, you know, you'd, you'd absolutely fill your content with keywords that you wanted to target unnecessarily. You'd repeat words, you know, even, you know, eight, nine years ago, you could have a white background and have the keyword written on it in white text multiple times. times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it's evolved a lot since then. Uh, you know, there was a, a, a few years ago as well, you know, they brought in the measures of, you know, evaluating a site based on how many, well, this is one of the characteristics that evaluate, how many inbound links come to a site. Uh, and that became quite heavily weighted with Google's indexing and it would look at the volume of links coming into it. So, that's when you had a lot of companies in India around that part of the world built, you know, creating link farms and creating thousands upon thousands upon thousands of links into a website, which allowed people to sort of manipulate. artificially manipulate Google. Yeah. yeah. With updates following that on Google, you know, it's really them, you know, trying to find the best ways to weed out people trying to manipulate it and yeah. bring in 
natural results. So identifying which inbound links are legitimate and which are illegitimate. And then, you know, placing different weighting on different links. So there are low value links that come into a site. So, you know, that don't really mean much at all. If you've got, you know, bloody Wallara mowing links to your website, (laughs) you know, it's not going to make any difference. But if you've got, you know, Channel 7 linked to your website, it's a very different story. When you say linked, what? Just a hyperlink. Just a hyperlink in in a bit of text to your website. Right. Yeah, so in that 0.17 of a second that Google, you know, makes that search for you whenever you type in something and press enter, yeah. there's a lot of work that goes that goes on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people should get started probably with a good website, Instagram and Facebook. So that, that seems to be where people should get started. Would yeah, that, absolutely. Would that be right? Okay. Absolutely, because, you know, in the early stages of a business, you know, Cash is quite important. You want to make sure you're putting your eggs in the baskets right. that are really, you know, creating the most leverage that you can get. Uh, social media, you can broadcast your ads to vastly more amounts of people than any above-the-line media. So, you wouldn't look at, you know, radio, telly, anything like that. Yeah. At the same time, social media, when you put a marketing spend in place, it kicks in instantly. Uh, with something like SEO, even as amazing as it is, because you know when people find you organically by searching something, and they find your website, it's it's very authentic. Uh, that's inherently going to be high converting traffic. But SEO takes time and a lot of money. So early early on in a business, that's where you know AdWords and social media are what I'd probably recommend because they're going to get bang for the well, they're going to get an ROI straight away, yeah. depending on how they do it. So the thing is, uh, you know, how they would go about doing it. They can put content up themselves and boost posts to, you know, nearby audiences and geographical locations they want to target. Uh, But, you know, engaging an agency to really sit down, look at their goals, pull apart, you know, who they want to target. Because, you know, in the cosmetic industry, it's not, you know, injectables aren't injectables. You know, you've got very different markets. There's, you know, very, very low cost clinics. There's very, very high cost clinics. There are, you know, everything in between. Yeah, absolutely. There's cosmetic businesses that'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on lasers. There are ones that'll, you know, try to go for, you know, cosmeceutical products. Yeah. So I'm guessing what you're saying is you've got to work out what sort of provider you are yep. and what target, or sorry, what audience are you talking to? Because yep. that's going to guide what keywords, what how you're going to present your social media, yep. blah blah blah. You can't just be cosmetic injector Sydney. Yeah, that that doesn't really mean anything, does it? No, absolutely. So yeah, something important to do is you know sit down, talk with an agency about it. Like, don't pay. Like, it shits me to tears when you see clinics just like paying someone a few hundred bucks a month to do posts on their page and think that they're doing social media marketing because it's it's not social media marketing. There are a lot right. more layers to it than that. I think when you use the word agency, I automatically think expensive. Yep. And for someone starting a new business or a new injector starting their career, that may sound cost prohibitive. What What would be a reasonable budget that people should have in the back of their mind that they should earmark towards getting this set up properly with an agency from the beginning? So, you know- That was a piece of string, right? (laughs) It is is and it isn't. Like, you know, it depends if you've got a website or not. For a pretty low cost website, if you go for something really basic with- Like a WordPress or something like that or a Squarespace or- uh, You know, if you have something on Wix or Squarespace or something like that, you know, that's people can do it themselves and it can cost a few hundred bucks. Or if you want to get an agency, you know, a cheaper agency to build a really basic website, it might cost three, five grand. If you're getting a really good agency, you know, the lower end of their costs for their- 
cheaper versions would probably be between eight and ten grand, middle fifteen grand, and then you know expensive websites are sky's the limit from there. Mm. Um, you know, so a website for a, a brand new business, you know. Five, six grand for a website. You know, that's going to be something basic, but something really, really nice, depending on who you go with as well. Uh, In terms of marketing spend uh, and how much an agency will charge, they all charge very, very, very different rates. Some Mm. are fixed percentages, some are fixed fee. you know, starting with a spend of a couple of grand a month gross of fees, and that might be, you know, 750000 bucks a month for management of, uh, of campaigns, which is creating ads, which is running the ads, optimizing campaigns, and then a 1000 bucks or so a month for ad spend, which is actually to promote the posts themselves. Uh, that's a pretty good, you know, a, a pretty good starting point. The best way to conduct any paid marketing campaign, though, is to create it with scale in mind. So, it comes down to dollars and f- it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a figures game. So, if you create a campaign, uh, you know, you'll quickly see what it costs you per thousand people, what your conversion rates are for your ads, and that will then give you a cost per lead. Then from that cost per lead, you can work out what your conversion rate is from inquiry to consult then your conversion rate from consult to procedure. Mm. Then from that, you can work out very, very rapidly what it costs you per bum in seat, per booking. So, you know, the word optimization is thrown around a lot. What optimization is in a social media campaign, like run, running it, running a, a real social media campaign, right? You might have four different ads with four different visuals for, you know, for the same service. You know, you'll, you'll run that. And, you know, with a relatively small spend, you'll quickly find which one of those four ads gets the best response. Then you might choose the best performing visual and artwork, then target four different groups of people. So, this is what you do if you've got a relatively low budget, because the larger the budget, the more people can see it, the more ads you can run concurrently. So, you know, always seeing what creative works best, what pictures work best, what text works best, and then what demographics work best. Over time, you know, what might be at the start of a campaign might be, you know, a hundred bucks in inquiry could then go down to, you know, maybe 10 bucks an inquiry. You know, if then you work out that there's a 20% conversion rate of inquiry to consult, you know, that's then 50 bucks per consultation. Then, you know, you say, oh, well, I convert 50% of my consults. Like, all right, 100 bucks a client, my average basket size of people coming in for injectables, boob job, you know, facelift, whatever it might be. You work out what's commercially viable and then you scale on that. Like it's good to have a, a not really have a budget with social media marketing if you're doing it using that methodology because, you know, you talk to a, you know, a plastic or an ENT, an ENT about a rhinoplasty or a plastic surgeon about breast augmentation, they'll know what their margins are. And if, you, if they work it out that it costs them, say, $500 to acquire a new breast augmentation and they know what their margins are of whatever amount, if they're switched on, they'll say, all right, well, let's pay as much as we can to get as many of those $500 breast dogs as we can because I'm making, you know, two Correct. grand, five grand, eight grand, however much they're making off each one. So, scale is something which is an amazing, amazing benefit of social media marketing because there's such an enormous audience that you can promote to. And the data that you get when performing campaigns, if you're doing them well, is unbelievable. One of the other things that seems to be really important these days, and I find myself gravitating towards this as well as the authenticity mm-hmm. of content that goes up. So, over-polished, over-produced, over-scripted. I think people are becoming very attuned yep. um, to stuff that's been overly curated, and I think it loses its punch or, the, mm-hmm. or believability. Is that yep. something that's being translated across to, to social media as well as people wanting that real 
raw content. 100%. There's a a time and a place for produced content, like getting a videographer to come in, write scripts, you know, really produce and put together stunning, beautiful videos, you know, used on websites, used on landing pages. It's, you know, they work amazingly for social media content, you know, you got to remember you're talking to people and, you know, the highest performing videos that we've seen are, you know, taken from an iPhone. It might be a doctor talking into a camera. Uh, for that on-the-go content, when it's person-to-person, it's just really humanised. It doesn't look or feel or smell like an ad when you've got that really casual, you know, candid content that, you know, it's, it's when you, you know, content when you've got a surgeon or a doctor or an injector or a nurse candidly talking about what they are an expert at you know when you're when you're broadcasting that to your social media followers it's 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 fantastic it's it's real when everyone's got an uh, like an iphone or a like a mobile device on them that's capable of recording videos yeah. and, and pictures so it's it's funny because it's almost like you get rewarded for using the cheaper option which is like just yeah. on the go videos you take yourself or put in a tripod and away you go rather than spending all that money on overly curated polished content Absolutely. Like it's a bit of a paradox it's kind of yeah well you, you look at like the, the the super duper online retailers and you know when they'll get a bunch of reviews made by uh by influencers on youtube whether it be a you know a makeup reviewer or someone like that they're all taken on a handheld phone not with a gimbal with stabilizers but handheld because it's just it's real you're looking at a human uh it's a human talking it doesn't like like i said it just doesn't look or feel or smell like an ad it's just a lot it's a lot more real do you think that's a response to people just being overly bombarded with polished content it's just like it's almost like we're rebelling yeah saying don't give us that shit we actually want real conversations real people we don't want all the all the all the sales pitch and nonsense Absolutely. Well, we've got to touch on the influencer thing and we we're talking about that we're having a coffee so i think most people have sort of caught on to the fact that you know these influencers girls with a million followers on instagram they're given a product to hold up and say hey i drink i don't know this kind of coffee it's it's just not genuine and everyone knows that yeah and so using what maybe two years ago was like that new kind of, wow, this is like a local girl in Sydney who drinks this coffee now is suddenly a paid ad mm-hmm. and you know that. Yeah. So that authenticity and genuine sort of ad has now gone. I don't think anyone believes these influencers anymore. So looking at looking at the timeline of when influencers became a thing up until now, like, like I was saying before, Facebook is a public company. It's there to make profit for its investors. So, people used to have, you know, if you had a thousand followers, you did a post, a thousand people would see it. Uh, When people started getting enormous followings, they were able to do a post. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of eyes would see their posts and that then had a price tag attached to it. You know, you've got these chicks with millions of followers that are getting 50 plus thousand dollars a post, which is an enormous amount of money. Sorry, did you say $50,000 a post? 100%. Absolutely. Oh Absolutely. There's uh, some of the big super duper ones, like the American ones on the, that we all know the last name of. You know, they're about a quarter of a million US a post. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it gets, that gets makes really sense. I could understand. I know exactly who. I think the problem is everyone thinks you're an influencer. Well, I live on the Gold Coast, so uh, there's a lot of influencers on the Gold Coast. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a few that know for a fact that's, you know, around the 50K mark for a, for a post. But well, here's the thing this is how it's changing. You know, if you have, if you, if you used to have a thousand friends, you did a post, a thousand people would see it. 
then it started to change. So, it, Facebook or Instagram would limit the amount of people who see your posts depending on the engagement. So, if you put a post up and a few people saw it, they would, you know, and, and a large portion of those people engaged, reacted to it, shared it, etc. The platform would see that as viral you know, great content and it would show it to more and more and more of your followers. So, looking at these influencers with millions of eyes on their posts, there's a, there's a, there's a large dollar figure attached to, you know, what they can produce. Like, you know, what, how much would you pay to show something to a few million people? It's worth a lot of money. So, what's happened? what's been happening is the organic reach of these influencers is starting to be squeezed and that's deliberate by the platform because you could understand if you were Facebook and you were saying- You want a piece oh, of pie. There's, there's someone not use, not paying to use my platform that's just putting posts up and they're making, what, 50 grand a post? Let's, that, that, that should be our money. Yeah. So, their organic reach is starting to be squeezed and they're going to have to start paying money to reach all of their followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just a way to divert the funds from the influencer to the platform. Yeah. Right. So, that's always changing. But then you've- You've got influencers that are there just to promote things like the ones we're talking about. Then you've got ones that have authentic, real content that's educational and they're putting videos up, you know, that's really, really compelling, great content. They're not being, they're not have, you know, it, it's it's inherently natural, organic content. You know, that's not being limited. That's, you know, they're getting more and more followers because- you know, the more time that people spend on platforms, it's better for the platforms. So, people who are really contributing and creating great content are being rewarded, whereas ones that are just there for promotional purposes, you know, that's that's not going to be around for much longer, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, if you've got $50,000 to drop on someone doing a post for you, wouldn't you be better off putting that $50,000 towards drink. actually <laughs> someone like yourself or like yeah. actually building your own brand rather than just... 50 grand on like a one and done type post for someone else depends on industry like if yeah, you right. if you've got a product that you're selling to everybody if you're selling you know teeth whitening then, like Conor McGregor yeah you can. <laughs> yeah if, if, you're, if you're if you're selling teeth whitening then you know people doing these posts with with millions of followers it's it's incredible because yeah. everybody almost everybody is a candidate for your product or service then it's great but if you've got a niche product if you're a plastic surgeon that one in however many thousand people are a candidate then and there when they see the post for it, then it's a different story. Then influences are definitely not the way to go. Right. Yeah, it depends on relevance. It's really, uh, you know, the benefit of using those influences reach. It's, it's you're paying them for a reach for eyeballs on your product. Um, yeah, it's as well if people are looking at using influences, they need to look at the following of that person. So, if you take a, you know, a, a Roxy Jasenko and compare her to a kind of Tammy Hembro, you're going to have two very, very, very different audiences that are going to be, you know, better or worse for two very, very different products. And those are people that run PR agencies. I know of Roxy, but I'm not sure who the other person was. Uh, she's a, the other one's a influencer from the Gold Coast. Right. Okay. Sorry. Just because we've got people listening all over the world, they might not know who those people <laughs> <Yep>. are. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't. I'll put my hand up. Oh, yeah. Big Jake's like, yeah, mm, I know who that okay. is. Okay. Yeah. The pom over here knows nothing. <laughs> um, going back to what you're saying about uh, the influencers' reach and their followers. So, you can, there's, there's a little button where you can hit insights, can't you, on, on your profile. And then you can look at where someone's followers actually are by country or by city. So, if you were ever a company and trying to engage an influence, you could ask for that information, couldn't you? Oh, data insights are You'd be crazy when, not to ask for yeah. that. Yeah, well, but a lot of people don't. They go, oh, a million followers, great, have 50 grand. And yet, they're all robots and yeah. fake accounts and people in Sri Lanka. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of people like that who are sort of touting themselves as experts or moderators of, you know, who the best surgeon to go and see is or what have you. And you, you look at their insights and they're all just bought. 
Like there's zero engagement. They've got like 20,000 followers at all sort of popped up in one day from Turkey. Yep. They have nothing to do with the Sydney market or the Australian market. Yep. I think those people are starting to get found out in terms of they're just, they're not genuine. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a tool called Hype Auditor. Yeah, that's, right. Uh, that's really cool. It costs about fifty bucks a month or so that you can put in anyone's profile as long as they're not private. Yeah, uh, and it'll t- it'll show you a graph of when they gain their followers, the countries that they're from, which is really that's cool because cool. you can do it to anybody. Yeah, right. There's probably going to be good. a lot of people listening right now. Look up uh, look up a few accounts on that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think you and I, we we're talking about this earlier. Is that I think that you're better off having a smaller audience that is super engaged, they're super authentic, they love what you do rather than having all these hundreds of thousands of people that aren't real or they're not really engaged with your brand or your product or your service. Mm -hmm. I think we're moving, correct me if I'm wrong, moving back towards more of this niche marketing and people having smaller audiences that are really engaged with them rather than just these sort of monolithic type. (laughs) Absolutely. It's important as well to categorize you know, growing your following and having a following separate that from client acquisition because, you know, cam- if, you've, if you're running a campaign to grow a following, it's very, very different to a campaign that you're running for lead generation. Uh, you'll, you'll have different kinds of ads. You'll, you'll have different kinds of targeting. Uh, every campaign that's run needs to really have a goal. It's, you know. Yeah. So, just, I guess, circling back or looking to sort of um, summarize things for people, um, so, start with a decent website, five, six grand. Start with Facebook and Google. Potentially mm-hmm. look at engage, engaging an agency, not really to post content, but more to help them with marketing. Yep. Um, make sure your content's authentic. Yep. What else have I missed? Just <laughs> Start using your iPhone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Capture some content. Seek as much counsel as you can yep. from, uh, you know, go and sit with agencies, you know, like, you know, go and talk to other businesses. It's a, it's a very small industry. Yeah. It's a very, very small industry. Go and talk to others about what's worked and what hasn't worked for them. But yeah, call agencies up, sit down with them, you know, evaluate what your options are and what sounds like a good fit for your business. Yeah. Uh, when talking to agencies, be be cautious of ones that will recommend one modality over another. Be cautious of ones that will, you know, say that simply by doing, a, you know, a post a day, it's going to, you know, turn you into the next Michael Moroshnik. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's it's important to pick the right agency uh, and make sure that they really, really know your industry as well. Do you think it's important to target an agency that specialises in this particular industry or do you think any any agency can potentially do the, do the job? The thing is, is that, there are, you know, my agency obviously specialises in this industry. Yeah, we, there are nuances, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, you know, I've seen some incredible work come from agencies that do not specialise in the medical industry at all. Some really, really great campaigns, some really, really efficient campaigns. I've also seen stuff done by medical marketing agencies that is, you know, absolutely woeful. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that picking someone who specialises in the medical in the medical industry is, you know, a huge rock art. It is important. It means that, you know, they potentially know what you can and can't advertise, that yeah. they know, you know, what kind of content, what kind of tone of voice, what kind of conversion measures work. Uh, 
but at, at the same time, uh, you want to make sure it's not someone who says they specialise in the medical industry because, you know, oh, hey, who are we going to target for clients? You know, oh, doctors have lots of money. Let's target them. You've got to make sure you're not getting agencies that are targeting the medical industry for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And I guess sometimes it's good to get someone from outside of the industry because I guess they're- Fresh eyes. Fresh eyes yeah. coming at it without any preconceived notions or ideas. 100%, 100%. Okay. Yeah, so- we've taken over a lot of campaigns from medical and non-medical agencies yep. and- uh, the medical specialist ones are probably the ones that have uh, been the most alarming. Okay. So, speaking of agencies, um, how do people get in contact with your agency? Jump on azurigroup.com.au. Can you just spell that for us? A-Z-U-R-I-G-R-O-U-P.com.au. And I'm assuming you're on uh, Facebook and Google? Absolutely. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Instagram? <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> My Instagram is pretty much just food and wine, so... Yeah, yeah, right. You're not going to find many insights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right, well... Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. And I believe you're going to come back soon to talk to us. We're going to drill down a little bit further into uh, Facebook and Instagram for people. Beautiful. Thanks, Drew. Awesome. Appreciate okay. you finding Thanks, buddy. No worries. For our latest news, upcoming episode information and mini video clips of our guests, you can follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. We've also just started a YouTube channel called Inside Aesthetics and we'll be uploading more content and longer videos in the future.